The ceiling is the roof. My name is Bobby Corella. Today we got a special episode hosted neither by Mike nor by me. No, this one's going to be hosted by Brian Damaris. We had three lovely gentlemen from the media join Brian in Studio 41 presented by Chime for a nice playoff preview roundtable. They are Chuck Cooperstein, radio play-by-play voice of the Mavs, Tim Cato with The Athletic, and Kevin Gray, radio host of 105.3 The Fan. Had some really good conversation preparing us for Mavs Jazz, talking about Mavs contingency plans for Luka, maybe for no Luka, who can step up if Luka misses time, what the Jazz do very well, everything that you need to get you ready for game one on Saturday. So without further ado, let's hand it over to these fine gentlemen. Welcome to the Mavs Playoff Preview Roundtable. Look at this distinguished panel I have in front of me. I am just in awe. Distinguished? Well, I'm trying to be nice. You are. <laughs> you can always try. That word's you don't doing a lot of work. Right. You, <laughs> you know who these people are, but I'll introduce them anyway. The radio voice of the Mavericks, Chuck Cooperstein, is with us. Thank you so much. For being Thank here. you for the invitation and a pleasure to be a part of the 2022 playoffs, which hopefully will be lasting for quite some time. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, next to him is our resident hipster, according to Itzhak Franco. <laughs> <laughs> a man who I am ashamed to say I think is one of the brightest basketball minds we have covering the Mavericks. I can't believe I said that in public. Tim Cato from The Athletic. I mean, if Iztok said it, I, I guess he's right. Mm. So yes, I would, I I would never disagree with anything that man says. So yes, That is absolutely true. And to my right, immediate right here, Kevin Gray, the Mavs insider and host on The Fan 105.3. All right, gentlemen, we have a lot to dive into in a jazz preview, but let's start with the elephant in the room, Luka Doncic. Um, he is still day-to-day. We don't know what he's going to, uh, if he's going to play. I think the Mavs know a lot more than we do, obviously, but I think it is smart to put some plans in place um, if he's not going to play. And so let's Let's have a little discussion of what it means for this series if he does miss a game or two and how that affects the on-court product. I'll start with you, Chuck. Well, I think the biggest key to the series really is rebounding and defensive rebounding. And Luka is the Mavericks' best rebounder and their best defensive rebounder because the last thing you want to have happen is for Rudy Gobert to start getting offensive rebounds and kicking it back out to those guys shooting three-pointers. They want to shoot threes. They shoot the second-most threes in the league, and a lot of them come off of those situations. So uh, th- that's, the to me, more so than whatever points the Mavericks lose by not having Luka there uh, or even his assists. I think in some ways that can be made up by the combination of Dinwiddie and Brunson. But the rebounding is going to be really hard to overcome if he doesn't play uh, for any length of time. Having said that, you know, it's the old Dick Mata wounded tiger theory in play here that if he doesn't play one of these two games, you can grab one of them anyway and just let the series play out. And hopefully it's a minor strain here, the grade one strain, and that it's 10 days. And, you know, 10 days gets you to Thursday for game three, and he's back playing. I mean, that's, I think, the, the most optimistic uh, interpretation that you could have, assuming that he's not going to play the first two games. Tim, where's your head out on the, uh, the the potential Luka absence and how that affects the play? I, I like Coop's answer because there's a lot of really interesting and fun strategic permutations. There's a lot of lineups that Dallas could use that would 
you know, make life more difficult for Rudy Gobert. Um, you know, I think we can talk all, you know, about all of that stuff as this conversation progresses about going small, about Davis Bertans, but all of those permutations get more difficult if you don't have Luka Doncic as a rebounder. You know, that, that really is the part of his game that does go a little bit under the radar. And yeah, of course, they're going to miss his scoring, his isolation scoring, his three-point shooting, his shot creation. Of course, they're going to miss his passing. Um, you know, they're going to miss so many things that only Luke can do. He's a one-of-a-kind player. He's very unique in what he does on the court. But when you talk about the, the very fun strategic elements of the series, uh, I, I keep thinking about that rebounding absence as well. And I, I think that is a, is a major one, and it's, it's going to be tricky for them to both solve that while really pushing the Jazz out of their comfort zone. I think for me, it's about the pace of play. These are two of the slowest paced teams in the NBA. And Luka Doncic, from a control aspect, what does the control and the flow of the game look like without him on the floor? His ability to manipulate pace, to be able to take care of the ball, to be able to control the offense, to be able to set things up you know, defensively for them is going to be a real challenge for them to see how they adjust without him as far as pace of play on the floor and how Dinwiddie and Brunson take control of being able to handle the flow of basketball games and really insert their footprint on what these games could look like without him on the floor. So I'm interested to see from a strategic and a pace standpoint how this team looks without him on the floor and if there is going to be some changes based on personnel and how they'll be able to handle, you know, game situations, especially in the heightened sense of the playoffs that you're going to be dealing with now going forward. It'd be a lot of fun if the Mavericks just come in and try to run. Yeah. That would be a really yeah. that would be a really fun That's the real change of pace. weird uh, <laughs> thing that I'm not expecting from the series, but it would be a lot of fun to watch. And I still think it actually is important that they do try to push the pace yeah. a little more. You, know, you can get away with playing slow when you have somebody like Doncic who can just do whatever he wants whenever he wants. But with all due respect to the rest of the team, they're not Luka. They're not that yeah. talented. So how are you going to get easy baskets? Can you get them You know, getting to the rim before Rudy Gobert gets back there? If you can steal three or four baskets that way, you know, maybe that's a difference between winning and losing. So uh, I'm interested to see that. And, and, you know, it may very well be if they wind up going, you know, super-duper small and they're playing Finney Smith at the five, you know, that may be the way they actually have to do it in order for them to score. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point because, yeah, with Luka, their half-court offense was number two in the league, 100 points uh, per play, which is second only to Atlanta, which is 101.1. We're 100.1. But without Luka, as you mentioned, Coop, that's going to bog down a little bit uh, because what the Jazz like to do is play, you know, drop and basically take Pal out of it. But Luka can take advantage of that because he can hit those floaters in that mid-range game. Well, without Luka, then... You and it really becomes, you know, we're, we're going to find out as it relates to Jalen Brunson. And then maybe we, you know, we're jumping ahead here a little bit too much, but there's obviously a lot of pressure on Jalen Brunson in this series. Uh, and would have been under any circumstance given how last year ended against the Clippers. But he's so much of a better player this year than he was last year. And to me, the the best part of his game, the the area that he's developed the most, is that floater game, is being able to take it off the floor like Steve Nash used to do and get it it off the board and finish it. And he's going to have to be able to do that in this series. Yeah, there's no question. I think that is an absolutely key point. First of all, the matchup is a lot better than it was with the Clippers. Uh, the, they don't have, you know, the Clippers don't have the perimeter defense. They don't have the length that's going to bother them. The Clippers were uniquely positioned to give Brunson a hard time. But he has improved his game overall. 
But if they are going to play drop when Powell's in there, then that's going to open that mid-range game up, and Brunson lives there and, yeah. and can hit those free throw line extended at the elbow, all of that stuff if they give it to him. So that's going to be an interesting uh, piece to it. But um, I do want to kind of go to playing small, which is either micro ball with Finney Smith at the five or Bertans at the five, um, because you've got to get Gobert out, out of the lane. lane yeah. You just have to. And, and the problem is Powell – I'm interested to see if Powell's minutes go down because I don't know uh, he can't spread the floor, and, and so when you know they they just channel everything into Gobert. And, and Powell, I was going to say also the you know the pick and roll game is not going to be quite as effective. E- even though Dinwiddie and Brunson can run it, they don't run it like Luca runs it, mm-hmm. and it, it, uh, they don't have the simpatico relationship that. Uh, Luca has with Powell and the, and the timing that goes into that. Powell, Powell played 82 games, so obviously he played all four games against Utah. The first one, there was no Luca. The last mm-hmm. one, there was no Gobert and no Whiteside, and so Utah switched everything. And that first and last game, he was okay, um, but it, it wasn't it wasn't standout Dwight Powell games. The middle two, he was excellent in both of them, but both those games came with Luca because Luca is very unique. I was actually, I just asked Dwight a, a couple, like an hour ago at, at Mavs practice um, about how that, you know, facing a drop coverage and how the two guards would adjust to that. And I thought, I, I think he's right. He, he said that both other guards, both uh, Jalen and, and Spencer, are good in that area and kind of the five to 10 feet from the rim area. But they're not Luca good because no one is Luca good. I, right. I don't think there's a player as good in that five to ten feet range as Luca is. And getting, I think Jalen especially, Spencer, he, you know, he has a floater. He doesn't operate quite as much. He's more direct. You know, mm-hmm. if he gets there, he's going all the way to the rim, trying to get a foul or putting up a shot. Uh, I think Jalen is someone who can manipulate that space a little bit more. And if he can do just a facsimile of what Luca typically does in those situations. That would be massive because it would both allow Dwight to be more effective and stay on the floor, and you don't have the same types of rebounding challenges that we, you know, already uh, discussed. And you just have, you know, one of your reliable role players has a very clear role to play. But I think there is a big question, and and it will be a challenge for Jalen to try to replicate that for as long as Luca is out. I think what's going to be interesting you were talking about, you know, the the micro small ball that they could potentially be playing. That means Dorian Finney-Smith can have a lot of opportunities at the three-point line. If he can knock down threes and continue to pull Gobert potentially away from the basket, that could open up a lot of things for driving lanes. He's had a lot of success. Exactly. He's had a lot of success in the last year doing that. On the the flip side, you might get Utah into switching defense, which, Mm -hmm. you know, there's pros and cons to that. But it's at least not their preferred defensive matchup. And I think whenever you get an opponent doing something they don't prefer to do, that's not their natural instinct. Take advantage of it, yeah. 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 Tim McMahon actually said on the Take That With You podcast Monday that Gobert is their best perimeter defender. You know, when he and we saw that late in the game in the, what was it? The, the game right after coming out of the All-Star yeah. against uh, when he went up against Luka. Now, there was mm-hmm. a foul that was later, right. you know, the, the but, league admitted but, was a there foul. There are very few 7-1 guys who can move their feet the way Gobert can out there. But I don't think over a seven-game series that Utah wants to play that way. Right. I, I don't think they feel like that that's a, a recipe for success. Now, another thing is, is Bullock and Finney Smith, as we talked about hitting those shots, I think the shots are going to be a lot more contested because without Luka being that magnet for the defense, then you can stay home on shooters, and those shots are not going to be wide open anymore. Well, the only way, unless 
Dinwiddie and, and Brunson, Brunson are able to create their job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do now, the job other issue is, of yeah. course, you're not going to get the whistles that you get in the regular season for Dinwiddie. He lives, as you mentioned, Tim, you know, getting those foul calls. He's got to keep his head straight when he's not getting those foul calls because you're just not going to get as many in the playoffs. Him being able to get a few fouls on Rudy Gobert would, would like that to me, if I think of game plans, ways Mavericks can win without Luka um, for as long as they need to, you know, be winning without Luka. I, I do think that's a, that's a clear aspect of the game plan. If you can get Rudy into foul trouble, especially if Spencer can, um, but I agree. That's tough. It, it gets tougher in the postseason. It's not a guarantee. It is something where you're going to have to live with contact with, you know, with instances that Spencer and the Mavericks are going to feel our fouls. But Rudy is not going to get called for it, both due to his reputation, due to just his excellence as a shot blocker. You know, that that's also mm -hmm. a factor here. And also just due to the way that the postseason, you know, basketball changes just a little bit. They'll have to constantly be in attack mode if you're going to get Gobert into foul trouble. Brunson, Dinwiddie, these guys are about to constantly put pressure at the rim so that they can find guys collapsing on them, maybe find guys like Bullock and Dorian Finney-Smith able to hit you know, shots on the outside. But if you're going to try and get Gobert into foul trouble, get to the basket. And this team has always talked about all season that good things happen you know, when they attack the rim. So if they can constantly do that in a series, they could find themselves creating maybe a small advantage by being able to put pressure additionally on Gobert you know, as far as the lane is concerned there. And when Gobert's not in the game, when the Mavs are on defense, and that changes everything. We saw it in the last game that they played without Gobert. Then you can just key on Mitchell and take him out of the game. He only had 12 points in that game. But that Gobert-Mitchell pick and roll is so devastating because once you you know get through that screen, if you're playing drop, which the Mavs like to do because you're so worried about Gobert, Mitchell's going to hit that shot every time. Well, he hasn't hit it in this building, though. Yeah. And the last three games in this building, in the American Airlines Center anyway, he's not scored 20 points in any of those games. But the last game was without Gobert. Without, yeah, well, what I'm saying. He's, that changes he's, it. But, but yeah. even going back to last year, yeah. kind of that when Utah was super hot and you know, Finney Smith had that great game, I mean, he, he shot 6 for 23 in that game. He's 15 for 55 in his last three games. Do you think it's something the Mavericks do specifically against I, Mitchell? I, I, he doesn't – I mean, the game, the last game that they played, he just seemed completely disengaged. I don't, I don't know what was going on. But, again, that team is a pretty mentally fragile team right now. And, that was the and, game when he was shooting those, like, like skyscraping yeah, mm -hmm. three-pointers. what he was yeah. doing. And, you know, he and Conley kind of share the ball handling. And, and I, I, I know the number that you're talking about with the, with the pick-and-roll game. But, I mean, I think that Mitchell, it, if they can make Mitchell the ball handler, as opposed to Conley, I think that's a win for the Mavericks. I would, I would much rather, I would much rather have Mitchell try yeah. to do that because I think he's gonna, he'll try to do things and he'll get himself in trouble and he'll turn over the ball. And Conley won't do that. He Con can get, Con he can get sucked into hero ball. Yes, and, and we've seen it in the bubble. You know, he's gonna even look to score more than he will in the regular season. And the stat that I always go back to, which is absolutely stunning to me, including the playoffs, he has six. Six double-digit assist games in his career. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. That's why Mitchell is I mean, Gobert is constantly saying ball movement, ball movement, ball movement, which is a direct attack on Mitchell. And so, yes, if you can do exactly what you're saying, then you can trap him into trying to do too much because that last game, especially, you know, you key on him because they didn't have anybody else. Now they've got Bogdanovich back, which right. is a great outlet for him. Absolutely. And Ingles obviously hurts him a huge deal losing him which is an even another aspect of it when Clarkson's in there he can help as well but uh keying in on that and going to your point 
Chuck, about the pressure, and I talked about this on TV the last time we played them as well. They're a mess. The Jazz are a mess right now. They've got ownership that wants to put his imprint, you know, young hip owner. They've got uh, Dwayne Wade mucking about in the front office. They've got a new president of basketball operations and Danny Age. Who, who loves to make moves. Loves <laughs> to make moves and is just waiting to do that this summer. Mitchell and Gobert still don't like each other. Ingles is out, gone. Bogdanovich just came back. And, oh, by the way, as Mark Stein reported, Quinn Snyder wants out. <laughs> and he's either going to go to San Antonio, Pop leaves, maybe the Lakers, or maybe just take a year off and, and reconnoiter. But he sees the writing on the wall. This team is ripe for implosion. We've seen them collapse down the stretch in clutch games uh, lately. I, I don't know what the number is, but I think they've had three double-digit fourth quarter. Well, they, they've lost... 14 games this year when they've led going to the fourth, 13 games when they've led going to the fourth quarter. Only the Lakers lost more games this year when, uh, when they led after three quarters. And they've had, I think, 10 losses where they've had a double, di- uh, 10 losses where they've had a double digit lead in the fourth quarter and have lost those games. And a lot of them lately. Yeah. And so oh, they yeah. are, uh, you know, that's the unfortunate part of Luca, amongst obviously mm-hmm. a lot of reasons if he doesn't play, is that you have a chance to really put your foot on the throat earlier and just see them collapse. Well, and also when you consider how the Mavericks have turned their season around as it relates to being a clutch team where they were absolutely horrid early in the year, primarily because Luka wasn't there. They were 1-8 and eight in clutch games when he wasn't there and what, they're 21-8, and uh, they're 21 and eight, I think, with him in clutch games and what, they're 12-2 and two since February 4th. So they've been almost automatic. And, and it's not just that they're winning games. Their shooting percentage is absolutely fantastic. And, and their defense has been great. I mean, their net rating is something like plus 50 or something, some, some absurd number, right, in, in, in clutch, right. where Utah clearly doesn't have that. I mean, you want, even, frankly, even without Luka, I think, because I think the team is different now than it was even when he was missing all that time and they weren't winning those games. If you can get this... To a you know if, if it's a five point game with six minutes to go either way <laughs> if you're the Mavericks I think you gotta like your chances yeah I think a big part of that is Dinwiddie and the way that he's been able to play in those clutch situations too the game that comes to mind immediately is obviously the Brooklyn game and what he was able to do at the end you know to win the ball game so I don't think that mentally this team will be scared of these situations I think they've proven throughout the season that this is a team that can mentally handle whether it be being down in the fourth quarter or being able to put together you know runs to be able to win games late in ball games, that this team should be able to do some of those same things without Luka Doncic, because I think a guy like Dinwiddie can be that stabilizing force with his ways to, you know, end the guy, games in the clutch. So I like their chances. Maybe their best chance to win is to be down in the fourth quarter and just come back and win <laughs> against the Utah Jazz the way they give up leads. And, yeah, Din, uh, Dinwiddie and Brunson, I mean, they're clearly not isolation scorers to the level that Luka is, but that's how clutch games end up going. Uh, you know, Spurs Somebody's got to go get a bucket. Yeah, yeah I even asked, uh, I asked Greg Popovich about this just kind of out of curiosity. Like, why does it always, why does the last five minutes of game, the last two minutes of game always end up in isolation? Because so often you hear coaches say, we just need to play our offense, right? Like, that's one do. of those. And, and they, they never, never do, do. And they never do. <laughs> so I asked him, like, why is that? Like, where's this disconnect? There's so few teams that actually play their offense. And Pop was like, well, you're going to put the ball in the hands of your best player in those situations. And, you know, yes, it's kind of obvious, but but it's also so interesting to hear Pop just say that so matter-of-factly. You know, it's Greg Popovich. Right. You know, yeah. if, if even he looks at the game and looks at basketball and is like, well, 
Yeah, that's your best player. You need a best player. Spencer and Jalen are both players who can operate in isolation settings. Not not like Luca, but they are both capable of that this season. You know, and, and so I think that matters. I think that's important. Well, you know, and interestingly, your point about the Brooklyn game, I think the best clutch game for me was the end of the Boston game. And just so many times they were just dribble penetrating, finding the right guy that was open, different guys, Dimwitty, Denny Smith. And then if we go back to recent history of playing without Luka, they've only played two games without Luka after the trade. And that was the Sacramento Sacramento day game and a Houston blowout. Uh, That Sacramento game, though, to your point, Tim, the very last play where Dodo hit the shot was Brunson driving, sucking in the defense, and then finding him over there in the corner for the game-winning shot. And so they were able to, to really win a clutch game without Luka, and I think that's the model that they need to look at. And again, so but so much of it still comes down to the ability of Brunson and Dinwiddie to score in the mid-range. Yeah. Because if, if Utah doesn't respect their ability to score there, they'll just lay off mm-hmm. and you know, take, let, let them take, take the shot. Out of and, and take yeah. pay, what, either take the lob out of the game or just make sure the corners are covered right. so that Dorian and, and Reggie don't have those right. threes to shoot. Exactly. That's that's why Finney Smith was open in the right. corner in that mm-hmm. Sacramento game because Sacramento did respect the fact that Jalen Brunson could score the mid range. Right. Like, you know, isolation scoring, you know, probably gets thought of too much as just, you know, Kobe shots, mid range shots, Hero you know, ball. fadeaways. Mm-hmm. Exactly. No. If you do it correctly, you're good enough at it. Ideally, you are causing the defense to break down and you may have these passes to easy, good quality shots that you're trying to generate, corner threes, lobs, uh, you know, something like that. And so that's the idea of it. And I agree, like it starts with Jalen, it starts with Brunson and it starts with Dinwiddie being able to make Utah fear them in those settings. What do you think they're going to start with? Again, let's just, I think the, you know, no inside info, but I just think if I'm reading tea leaves, uh, a, a strain is usually, as you said, seven to 10 days. So if, if Luke is not playing Saturday, uh, does, does Dimwitty run things? Does Brunson run things? Do they trade it off? I think they trade it off. I think, I think we've seen when they've played together, uh, you know, when Luca leaves the game at the beginning of the second quarter, that they kind of alternate possessions. And that's been the beauty of Dinwiddie coming in here and fitting as seamlessly as he has that regardless of the guards that are out there, they all can play with and off of one another. So that you, even though you know Luca will ultimately get the ball in his hands at some point, and so his usage number will still go up to 40% or whatever it is, the fact is that anybody can bring the ball up the floor, anybody can initiate the action that, that goes along with that, and it takes a lot of pressure off of the players, number one, and it makes the defense think about you know, how are we going to deploy so I, I, I think you'll just see see them play it as they've played it. I don't think we're going to see anything terribly different. I agree. I, I do like Brunson running pick and rolls, and I like uh, Dinwiddie on the weak side attacking closeouts, shooting threes. Uh, and if he does get a mismatch, he does get an isolation setting where it makes sense to attack a Gobert, or again, he might actually be their best perimeter defender. So more, more likely a Bogdanovich, um, even Conley, someone who he has a size advantage on, Donovan Mitchell. That's where I think he has more success. Now, again, you're going to have a, an even, you know, it's going to be, bo- it's going to be both players. It's, it's going to be some trade-off. Um, and there's going to be times where you, you, like, I'll, they can't I'll, both be on the floor. For I'll say the one minutes, thing but. that, and I, I, you know, I don't want to you know, throw water on, on this, but 
I mean, Dinwiddie's never shot three-pointers like he has shot three-pointers with the Mavericks. I mean, not even close. I mean, I think right. what, his highest percentage was like 34%, and he's shooting 40 with the Mavericks. I mean, I'm sure Utah's thinking, is this sustainable? And you know what? Maybe let's let him take a couple of threes, and let's see how that goes. And if it, if this is sustainable, then, man, this is great for the Mavericks. But Seven games yeah. is a smaller number than the amount he's right. shot 40% for exactly. the Mavericks so far. So right. who knows? Yeah. I, I like Brunson attacking and being able to run the offense, having Dinwiddie off the ball, being able to do the creation things that he's able to do. I like Brunson being able to run the offense and be able to facilitate everything for everyone else. Because once he's able to – because he's a terrific finisher at the rim. So if he's penetrating, getting inside, and still being able to finish at the rim while also still being able to run this offense and finding shooters, I think that's when Dinwiddie's at his best because now he can attack off things that Brunson's doing and then being a playmaker himself can find guys I mean, as are well. Are we so. selling Jalen Brunson short as a three-point shooter? I mean, no, no, he's, I, he, he's a 37% three-point shooter. I, I looked this up last week, and I couldn't believe it. There's only one other player in the league this year that shot 50% from the floor, shot 37% from three, and 84% from the foul line. That would be Kevin Durant. <laughs> I, I was just completely blown yeah. away when I saw that. I mean, this guy can shoot and he can, and he can score. And obviously there are differences, right? I mean, I, I just I, – I don't want people to sort of sell – Brunson short in his ability or, or just limit the idea of how those two guards are going to be able to play with one another in this series. Cause I really think they've shown, they've shown that they can, they, they can play with one another and in very different ways too. So, you know, whether it's taking it off the floor and going all the way to the rim, drawing fouls or being able to shoot the three, uh, it just goes back to the original point of the, I don't think it really matters who, who initiates the offense, there is a way, especially the way this offense has played uh, over the last six, seven weeks, that they're going to be able to get a lot of really good shots and probably make their fair share of shots. Too. I just think Brunson should take more threes. In volume, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think to your point, both of you, uh, he has, his game is so multidimensional now. You know, when he first came to the league, he looked for his own shot. Drove to the hole, looked for his own shot. He really wasn't assisting much. His assist number has gone through the roof this year, especially when he was starting games. And he has that catch-and-shoot ability, which when you're playing with Luka, you better be able to play off the ball, right? And that's what was a concern about Dinwiddie. Well, he's shown he can play off the ball. But then Brunson has that mid-range game. He can shoot the three. He can go to the hole. He can assist. He can play off the ball. His versatility is, is just grown by leaps and bounds. And... I think it's absolutely essential, and you know we'll have this more of this discussion in the offseason, but I don't look at him as a luxury now that you have Dimwitty. I, I think he's absolutely essential for this team going forward. Um, let's talk about Saturday noon. Uh, I know that in my conversations with Dirk, uh, <laughs> players don't like that time because they're, they have a routine. You know, they, they do shoot around in the morning. They have their carb-filled lunch, they take their NBA nap, <laughs> they get ready and go, get on the bus, you know, or drive from home. Um, you know, Dirk used to eat his pasta with chicken at 6.30 in the morning for noon games. And so... Well, he didn't get to play very many noon games, though. I mean... Yeah, but when they did. I mean, they had, they, before, in fact, before the game in Milwaukee, they had not played a noon game since Easter of 2008. Oh, wow. So This is why we have Chuck Kruppen <laughs> here. You are amazing. So, you know, I mean, it's interesting you say that. I talked to Jason about this, you know, before the Milwaukee game. 
And the fact is playing at noon, those guys are awake already because they will have just, under a normal day, they will have just gone through their shoot-around. Right. This will be before nap time and pregame meal time and, and all that kind of thing. So I, I don't think that that is necessarily uh, an, an adverse circumstance as opposed to, like, for instance, when they play game four, uh, in Salt Lake, and that's going to be, what, a, three, a 3.30 start local time, yet nobody likes playing then. But I don't think the noon thing okay, uh, matters all that much. And, again, given how they played against Milwaukee, hey, let's play a few more games at noon, okay? So yeah. noon, <laughs> noon just feels like a really competitive shoot-around. Right, for exactly. Game players. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get the juices flowing. All right. Devil's advocate, it does keep them, you know, in bed early the night before. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So you, you, you would sure hope so. Yeah, yeah, you would sure hope so. exactly. No, no you I'm worry sure about the crowd as well. The crowd yeah. doesn't have enough of the, you know, the drinky in them. And so I just worry that if there is a slow first quarter start, does that – because the Jazz have two ways to approach this. One is, okay, if, if Luca's ruled out – and we'll get an injury report by 5 p.m. tomorrow, Friday, as people are watching this. Uh, he's either going to be questionable or doubtful. If he's doubtful, then it kind of sends the message that he's not going to play. Questionable is still, okay, you'll, we'll find out Saturday morning. Right. So uh, they can look at it as, okay, we may take our foot off the gas a little bit, kind of human nature because we're not, you know, Luca's not in there. Or it can be we get some life, especially as a team that has internal struggles. Does this give us a bounce? And I just worry that a slow first quarter may give them some life. How many slow first quarters have the Mavericks had over the last month? <laughs> like, a lot of them. Right. A lot of them. It's not like – it doesn't matter whether the game starts at noon or 7.30. All right? It, this team, for the most part, has really struggled to start games. Now, they, they get better as, as the game goes on, especially in the second half. Third quarters are great. And yeah. Third quarters have been mm-hmm. fantastic. But I, I wouldn't – I wouldn't lose too much sleep over that just because it's it's just the nature of their team. And, you know, they, they've had their share of day games this year. They I think they only lost one, and that was to the Clippers uh, back in November when uh, Luka was out uh, with, the, with the ankle injury. So I, I don't think that that's an issue. Well, really. let, me, let me zoom in just a little bit on these slow first quarters. I, I don't think all of them fall under this umbrella, but a lot of them have been slow – second halves of the yes. first quarter. Yes. It's when the first subs have come in. And it's usually Dinwiddie and Luca obviously plays the whole first quarter. So Brunson comes out, Dinwiddie comes in, Josh Green comes in. And something about that has been just that lineup has not been very effective. And I wonder, you know, I don't know how they're gonna adjust if, if Luca isn't there. Obviously they're going to have a some sort of different rotation pattern. And so, I mean, I don't, I don't know what it's going to be. I, I'm very curious to see what it, it would be, and I'm very so, curious to see if it works okay. better than so, what they've been doing. So with that in mind, assuming Luka doesn't play, who's the third guard? Well, that's a great question. Yeah. Who's Maybe. the third guard? Is it, I mean, is, is it Trey Burke, who basically has not hit the broad side of a barn right. in a long time? Uh, you know, is, is, Neil, is Neil Akina healthy? Yeah, yeah must have seen him in a long you know, time. We haven't really <laughs> yeah. seen very much for whether Brandon it's non COVID, you know, his ankle, non COVID illness, whatever. Is Brandon Knight even on the playoff roster? I don't think no, he no, is. So. No. So, um, you know, to me, now Neil Akina, again, this was during COVID, but he had the good game on Christmas against Utah, and he does, ha- he does have length and he can guard. And it seems like, even though, Tim, the numbers don't always show it, it seems like, it seems like his shooting is okay. You right. know, it's, it seems like you could play him. Uh, and because, I mean, I can't see them playing 
Dinwiddie and Brunson, you know, 41, 42 minutes. That's yeah. the question, right? Yeah. You, can, you can do that approach, which is just play them more. You play them together some, and you always have one or two of them on the court at, at all times. Um, but I, because I, I think with Luca, you're talking about a pretty tight eight, maybe nine man rotation with Bertans. Yeah. If you want to, pl- you know, spread them out a little bit. Without Luca, do you have to go a little deeper? Because, you know, you're talking about a Trey Burke, you know, more Bertans. If Powell gets into trouble, foul trouble, is it, you know, is it Marquise Chris? Something like that. It'll be interesting to see how they do that. But yeah, I think the overlooked aspect is who is that backup guard and, Maybe you can limit that, those Trey Burke minutes, you know, as much as you can to some second and third quarter stuff. If it's know. me, I try Neil Aquino. Yeah. And, you know, even if it's four minutes in the first quarter to close out the, fourth, the first quarter, then you just think about it. You're like, all right, how did that go? If, if he's effective, then, you, roll you know. With it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that, that's kind of how playoffs go, right? You know, postseason basketball is different. And one way that it's different is you try something, and at the moment you see it's not working – all right. And that's one thing out. Jason Kidd has often done in the regular season is use it as a laboratory for the he playoffs. Has, yeah. So he has kind of a bank sure. of information. So I want to – I did look up today the the lineup of Dimwitty, Brunson, Bullock, Finney Smith, and Powell. They have 87 possessions they've played, 114 on offense, 120 on defense for a minus six. So it's 87 possessions. Take what, take what you will out of right. that. But yeah, that's still pretty small. Yeah. yeah. So, but that's just kind of a snapshot of, you know, that's going to be your starting lineup and your closing lineup, I would assume. It's, look, it was going to be an interesting series anyway because the Mavericks were surging and Utah, as you adroitly pointed out, is, you know, they're, they're just teetering on, on the edge of just having the whole thing crack and blow up and all those things. And, and now... I mean, you've got this this wrench thrown into everything for the Mavericks, and just and and I don't know that we're going to know the answer to this until they actually start playing. But as confident as we all think that they are, because of how they played, they still haven't won a playoff series since. Yeah, 20- we talk about pressure. The Mavs right. have pressure too. They've right. got to get that monkey off and, their back. And and you know. And they don't have their best player now. Okay, it's, you know, it's one thing to not have them against Sacramento and Houston. It's another <laughs> thing not to have them against Utah in the opening yeah. game of the playoffs. You know, h- how they're still, in many ways, a really young team. I, you know, I think, I think Boban has the most playoff games played of any, of any Maverick player. Wow. I mean, wow. Like 29, and Bertans is second. I mean, Lucas, wow. Lucas only played 13, right? Finney mm-hmm. Smith played 13. I mean, these guys haven't yeah. been through. And all, even Dinwiddie, Dinwiddie's yeah. only played like eleven. Five, I think. I think. Uh, so or maybe it might it might be that. But, but yeah, whatever, it's a very I mean, small number. It is, it's not right. a lot. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's not a lot. Those guys on the other side have played a lot of playoff games. If I'm Utah and I'm looking at not only the early start time, but all the things that they've dealt with coming into this series, I'm attacking Dallas from the very beginning. Like if I'm Utah, I'm trying to set a tone early on that despite all the things that they've gone through, whether it be fourth quarter blown leads, whatever. They're not with their best player. If I'm Mitchell, if I'm Gobert, I'm looking to attack early to see how can they withstand the pressure, especially with an early start time, take the crowd out of it and see what they can do to respond to that. Because if the Mavericks can find themselves responding to any kind of early run that Utah puts together, then I'll feel a lot better going into the rest of these games about how they'll withstand the teams that they're going to be dealing with because 
you know, from a talent disparity, I mean, Utah, if I were to say, I think it's a little bit more talented of a team, even though I think collectively what the Mavs do as a team, they're better going into this series, just given all the things that they're not dealing with, what Utah is dealing with. So, but if I'm Utah, I'm looking to attack early. How do the Mavs withstand that, to me, is going to tell me a lot you, about how they start the series. And then speaking of that, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've seen out of Utah this week is, you know what, we got to get Rudy going early. You know, if, if the Mavericks are going to be real small, yeah. we got to throw it to him yep. and, 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 li- and live with the consequences of either him making or missing. But that goes so totally against how they have played all year when you're launching 40.6 threes per game. Yeah. You know, and I, I think I, the I, way I, the Mavs should defend that is actually let him do that because, you know, he can't he doesn't always catch the ball really well. You want him to make poor decisions when he's, he's rolling to the rim. I, w- I want to not let Mitchell have those open threes as much as he hasn't been hitting them here right. in the American Island Center. But force that and, and let's see how it happens because you're right. If, if, they go, if Utah goes back to what they do, which is Mitchell doing his thing and Gobert's out of the action, then his headspace is screwed up and they start infighting again. Yeah, Utah, I mean, Utah's the number one offense in the league without passing to Gobert. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and they, they, they also understand. Like, they understand how they're talked about. They, they've been asked so many questions. They've been asked about, you know, Donovan Mitchell has been asked about the stat that he only tw- passes twice per game to Rudy Gobert. <laughs> you know, they, they're, they're very aware of yeah. all this stuff. And they're also aware that their time as a team, yeah, I mean, maybe yes. secretly deep down they, they're kind of okay right. with that. But they also understand that this era it's, is it's coming to an hit, end yeah. in, in that, that they just got a shot in the arm with, with Luca's uh, potential unavailability. They know that there's a good chance he's coming back this series. Um, you know, and, and they know that there's two games in between, um, you know, games two and three, that game three, game four. I will say, I thought the NBA, uh, I thought there might be one more extra day squeezed in there, um, you know, between, you know, maybe two off days between games one and two. Stars are playing on Tuesday. Right. And, and you know, so the other thing, yeah. you know, the other thing, Utah doesn't play home games on Sundays. That's correct. That's yes. right. Yeah. Yeah. They never, yeah. they never have. And so, so that was that kind of the only way question. to schedule it. And, and I don't know, I'm sure you've been to Utah. And, I have. And, and yeah. obviously you've been there. Explain to everybody what it's like in that arena. It is a cauldron of sound. It, it is, <laughs> is it the loudest in the NBA? If it is when it's going, it, Oklahoma it, it, City, Oklahoma is, City has, when, a, when has it, a shout. Uh, and and I'll tell you what, when Portland was good, when Portland, I mean the, the the series in the Rose Garden back in the championship year, when they made that comeback, mm-hmm. when Brandon Roy made that comeback against the Mavericks in Game Four, I don't know that there are very many buildings ever that have been louder. I mean, but you know the, the ones on the East Coast, you know New York and Boston and Philly. I mean they're always loud. They're always in. But Utah, I mean the building, it's it's tight. I mean, it's as tight as any building in the league. Like, there's not a lot of room between the baseline and where the stands come down. And frankly, also, their fans are among the most brutal in the league to opposing teams. I mean, you think the the you know the Mormons, the very the very nice Mormons or whatever, man, they they will let people have it. And Six days a week, just not Sunday. Just not Sunday. Sunday. And, and look, you know, we, we've seen that. We saw the Russell Westbrook situation. Was, was it last year or two? Was it last year or two years ago? That might have been ago. four or five. Oh, yeah, oh, it's it's been a, a while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, before the pandemic, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. I mean, that's, that's just one example. I mean, it's, it's rough in there. And th- in some ways, there's a reason why the Mavericks haven't won a game there since April 2016. They've lost great. 11 consecutive games there. Um, you know, it would cert- it certainly helps to have a home court advantage, 
but you still have to operate under the premise that you know the series is not going to be perfect. You know you're, that you're going to win one, two, five, and seven and win the series. Uh, at some point, you have to feel like you've got to be able to go in there and win one game. It's a pretty hard place to win. It really is. So um, you know. It would it'd be a perfect time to end the streak. It wouldn't be official, right, because it's, it'd be a playoff game as opposed to a regular season game. But it's kind of like, actually, when the Mavericks played in San Antonio uh, in 2014, and they were on a – I think they had lost like 15 of 16 down there. And then they, they lost game one. They could have won it. They, which they should have won. Mm-hmm. They are up like nine with six minutes right. to go. And yeah, then, I remember and being and there. And then, uh, you know, they blew them out in game two. Devin Harris had a fantastic game in game two. And and the series and they they knew that they could do that. So uh, maybe there you can look at that and say, well, you know, it's it's about time for the streak to come to an end. But it's a really hard place to play. It's really loud. And you know, let's face it. I mean, home teams play better at home for a reason because they get encouraged. And it's uh, it becomes a much more difficult game to play. Frankly, with the officials too. I mean, you're not generally going to get the benefit of the doubt. Uh, playing on the road. I mean, I don't care if you're superstar Luka Doncic or you know whoever. You're you're just not going to get that, and you've got to be mentally prepared to deal with that. Which is where I really think Jason Kidd is going to be a huge benefit to this team. Not that he hasn't been a huge benefit in every imaginable way this year. Coach of the month in April. Yes, mm-hmm. but I think there is nothing this man hasn't seen. Nothing he hasn't done and, and the pressure that goes with that, that he has performed under. And I think he's going to be able to be uh, able to translate that to his players. I, I, we haven't, you know, this is the first time I think Jason Kidd's name has been mentioned uh, since we started this. But uh, he may be the most underrated uh, positive that the Mavericks have in this series because I, I just think they're absolutely at a huge advantage having him and his experience and, frankly, his toughness. And I think his, his mental toughness has translated to their team and how they've played late in games. So. And his demeanor, and I've talked to people inside the organization, his preparation, uh, what they're doing this week, Sean Sweeney, uh, St. Jean, have absolutely been rock stars in terms of what they're doing on both ends of the floor. And I think that the coaching staff, in terms of his preparation, in terms of his communication, Jason Kidd said recently at halftime, First thing he does is he says, what are you guys seeing, right, to make it collaborative? And then his his demeanor in terms of staying calm, because as you know, if it's so loud there, it really gets loud when they go on runs. And if you can stop those runs with Brunson, who can be steady and just hit a basket, shut him down. I remember that Christmas game specifically. You know, every time Clarkson would hit a three or Mitchell, another bucket, and that's yep. what kept it close, right, even though they were playing with 10-day guys most right. of the time. And yeah. that brings me up to the regular season. We don't really have a lot to go on from the regular season. Right? The Christmas Day game, you throw that away. Uh, last game, you kind of have to throw away. Too. Last game, no good bear. You throw that away. The second game was Dimwitty's third game. Was, he scored 20. It was the first time he really broke out as a Mav. Um, but they kept it reasonably close for, for most of the game. And then the third game, there was no Brunson. So you really haven't had <laughs> any normal games, and three of those were after the trade. So it's hard to really look at a lot of film on it to determine kind of what you, you want to do. But I would want to bring up um, Maxi because obviously he has had uh, two, I think, for him, subpar playoffs, and then he has struggled recently. And he's absolutely essential for 
a number of reasons. What he brings defensively, obviously his ability to spread the floor. And if they are, they're going to sag off him and force him to shoot. And he's got to be, hopefully this time off has gotten him back and feeling good. Um, but Tim, what are you, you know, what are you hoping to see out of, out of him? Yeah, I asked if the injury had been affecting his shot at all because he said he'd been dealing with his injury for a few months. And he, he it was one of those ways, like, he he didn't feel like it was, but if you have it any part of have. your body injured... And knowing you know, Max, he, if something's ailing, it, right. it affects him. He's just, right. he has to have everything kind of in right. order. Yeah, I think I think we've, you know, we jumped so quickly to these the possibility of small lineups and that Powell's going to be the the closing guy. I think ideally Maxi Kleba would be the closer mm-hmm. if if he's playing. I agree. If, if he's playing up up to you know how we can expect him to play. But he's got to shoot. You right, can't play right, four and right. five. Right. Yeah, can't I just shoot, it, can't it, shoot nineteen percent right. from three. And, and and Powell, Powell when when Luca you know if if when Luca gets back into the series, I feel like Powell's usefulness, his ability to. Uh, you know, have good performances will just be exponentially better. Um, but but I just, I'm not positive that Brunson and Dinwiddie can ha- just have that synergy and more specifically have that ability to get a guard on their back and just slow the tempo down until something opens up for Powell. And he's very good at finding those spots and Luca's very good at finding him and you've got to have both sides of those equations. So I, I think when you when you're thinking about big men, um, I, I do want the Mavericks, you know, I'm very interested to see them go small. I think that's something they should try from an early point, whether small means Bertans or whether it means actually small, like like Vinny very Smith. small with Vinny Smith. Yeah, but yeah. in terms of playing a big, a, a, like an, a legitimate big man, I feel like, especially while Luka's not out there, uh, Maxi Kleba, if he can play up to his levels again, and that's asking a lot, especially with this time off, but but that that would be huge. That would be a huge... Uh, factor in this series and, you know, just what he's able to do, what he's able to bring defensively because their defense slipped a little bit the past few months. But we've seen that when this team was having their best defensive stretch, uh, they could win games defensively. And and if Luka's not out there, if the scoring punch isn't going to be quite as, uh, you know, strong or impactful as as usual because, again, Luka's your leading scorer. You're absolutely right. You have to have the defense. Right. This team was, uh, you know, the years passed, it was all offense, no defense. And so they were a victim of make or miss. And right. if they missed, mm-hmm. they weren't going to win the game. Now they, they won games, games defense. defensively yeah. this year. And you're right. The offense is going to be less without Luka. You have to have the defense step up to have a chance. This yeah. is a team in the what, 48 games that they played in the second half of the year that was you know, fifth in the league in defensive efficiency. So the versatility that Cleveland brings is going to be huge for them. He's able to be healthy. But I think to your point, if the office isn't going to be what it needs to be without Luca, you have to find different ways to win ball games. These playoff matchups are all about adjustments. And defensively, they've been so good in the second half that if they can find themselves keeping themselves in games defensively, they're going to give themselves a lot of chances to win ball games in this series because that has been their calling card throughout the season. Jason Kidd told us earlier in the year, this team wasn't built to play defense. Well, they clearly took that to heart and found a way to become a much better defensive team. And I think to that point, that will help them, especially on the road in a tough environment where they can rely on that when things aren't going well offensively. They'll, they'll, but, they'll start with Powell, but yeah. I would go Maxi after that. You know, you've got the option to go small in the back pocket. You can go to that. But I, I would Maxi would be the first sub if Powell isn't finding ways to be effective, isn't, you know, if the guards aren't able to find him. Maybe that's a quick sub. And then I would stick with Maxi even if he misses his first few shots. 
Yes. And say, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Exactly. You. Yeah. Trust yeah. him. Now move him around the floor. Don't always have him spotting up. Try to get him involved in other ways so that it's not every single possession. He's just, spotting you know, up. yeah. Th- and also mm-hmm. thinking, okay, is the ball going to come to me? I'm going to have to shoot. Like give him, don't, don't put that pressure on him every single moment. But stick with him, even if those first few shots are misses, especially this is his first game. This will be mm-hmm. his first NBA game in three weeks. So I, I would stick with him and as long know, as you can yeah. that first well, I game. I think ultimately yeah. it goes back to where we started when you asked, you know, what's the biggest thing that the Mavericks are going to have to overcome? And, you know, we talk about defense, and defense ends with rebounding. And you've got to be able to grab defensive rebound. You I mean, you can play great defense for 20 seconds, and the shot goes up, you've got to be able to grab it. And I, this was an old, this is a few weeks old, but since the trade, at the time I looked at it, they were last in defensive rebounding since the trade. Yeah. So, yeah, that's going to be a key. So we have a few more minutes here. I want to get into a couple of the other series in the West while we're here. Um, the most intriguing, which is Minnesota and Memphis. Minnesota obviously celebrated like they won the title uh, the other <laughs> have night. Have a problem with that? Because I didn't. I did, um, in terms of Pat Beverly, because it, it was about him. It was about his personal animus with the Clippers. But, so for, but, 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 but for the fans going nuts the, the way they did. I mean, they have, they've, won, they've been in one playoff in 18 years, man. I mean, it's, you well, know, Only one outside. This is the second time without KG. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, have yeah. at it, man. Let's party. <laughs> let, let, you know, we, we got a few days to get it out of our system before yeah. we start playing the series. That's... I, th- I, th- I think I th- my issue I actually, was more Pat Bev than it was yeah. anything else. <laughs> I, I, th- I thought it was actually thought it was just the s- I thought the scene was actually really yeah. cool at the end of the game, but that that is a fascinating series because really, let's face it, I mean neither team has a whole lot of playoff experience, right? I mean so absolutely, th- um, and you you've got you know Memphis has a fantastic bench, obviously the, the they're the deepest team in the league right now. But does death matter in the playoffs? Does that does that overcome? You know, if if Russell and Edwards and Towns and listen, they won that game with Towns doing nothing because he was in foul trouble the whole game. Um, you know, if if that if that all, all of a sudden is now negated, that gets to be I think really really interesting. There's a lot of athleticism in that series. What's, too. what's the last team that went to the finals where we were like, wow, their bench? Right. I'm trying to yeah. think. I'm trying. Toronto. Sort of, maybe the bench. You have to hold serve. Yeah. Right. Remember last year's yeah, Clippers you can't series. Can't be a negative. Yeah. The non-Luka minutes right. killed us. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I go back to when I was doing analytics with the Mavs. We had two sets of books. We had a Dirk set of books and a non-Dirk set of books. <laughs> you wanted to break even on the non-Dirk because you knew you were going to be positive on the others. And if you did that, you won. And so, yes, y- y- no one talks about the bench unless it's negative. And so you've got to at least hold serve when your best player is out. We saw that with. Cleveland and LeBron a few years ago when they just couldn't hack it without him, and then those guys wear out. And Morant, you know, listen, we all know he wants to get in the lane and do spectacular stuff, but as we all know, too, the whistle's not going right. to blow the same way. He's not going to go to the free throw line as much. And, you know, he's he's not necessarily the most efficient score shooter there is. I mean, he's pretty much a volume guy. So, again, where, where do his points come from, um, you know, I think the Memphis story is a fantastic story, really, uh, you know, when you consider where they were two years ago to where they are now. But that, I, I, I see that series going the distance. I really do. I, 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 so, Kat, 
and I was bagging on him on TV recently when we played Minnesota. You know, he's only had one other playoff series. That was Houston. Right. They got 4-1. He had two games in single digits. Right. He comes out, lays an egg, gets fouls out with seven and a half <laughs> minutes left to go in his <laughs> first play-in game since. Um, he's going to have to step up and, and play against good teams because yep. they, they've bottom-fed and gotten their swag from playing bad teams. But, you know, he can't play like that and expect – D'Angelo and, and, and Ant to, to carry him. And, I, and they, you know, as the TNT crew said, they don't play very smart. And so that's going to be, you know, they're going to have to have it, all it hands on It sounds like y'all don't think he's the greatest big man shooter sure, of all time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So correct me if I'm, I'm, I'm hearing this wrong, but I'm just saying that's what I'm hearing so, right now. I, you know, so, so much of that series is about temperament, you know, because Minnesota does run so hot. Mm-hmm. They, they are. And, in fact, I asked Chris Finch the last time uh, the Mavericks played when I was on their Zoom call, so, so, so who's your guy? You know, when things get crazy, you know, who's the guy that's going to go, hey, you know, let's settle this thing down? I think it's Ant. Well, he's, he didn't really give an answer. It, it, can be, it, it can be any one of us. So when you get an answer like that, that means there's no one. Yeah. Yeah. And there's now, no one. Right. On the flip side, I do think Pat Bev can irritate uh, Morant because he's too small for Luca, right? It doesn't work against the Mavs. As Luca told but, him very clearly. Yes, <laughs> several times. But I think he can against Morant. So yeah. that's another key aspect. So uh, the other one is uh, Denver and Golden State. I, I don't think that's going to be much of a series. I think that Curry sounds like Curry's back on track back. to, to and play. And obviously, Phoenix yeah. is going to wipe the floor with whoever they get. In the East, the sexiest matchup is Boston and the Nets. And, uh, I frankly don't know where to lie on that. I was, I was midseason saying you got to break up the Celtics, and obviously <laughs> proven wrong there. Um, so obviously their defense is fantastic. The Nets, you know, outside of the Big Two, and the Big Two had a great game against Cleveland, but then barely beat them. Can you expect that every night? Well, did they barely beat them? I mean, they they were they were pretty much in control all the way through the game. It was never there, there was never a one possession game. I mean they. They led by 20 at the end of the first quarter. They got whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. Tell you what, Bruce Brown has been fantastic for the Nets. He has been great. I mean, I don't know where this improved shooting has come from, but it's very Finney Smith-esque. And if if he can do that uh, to, uh, you know, go along with Kevin uh, Durant and and Kyrie Irving, you know what, I don't – maybe I'm in the minority here. I don't trust Jason Tatum. I just don't. I don't either. I, I just don't trust him. I do trust Durant. And I do trust Kyrie, especially if he's going to play the whole series. I, I think the Nets. I think the Nets win that series in six games. That'll be interesting because if that's if it goes six games, they're talking about potentially introducing Ben Simmons into this series. <laughs> I, which, I believe that when I see yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not, which <laughs> I'm not holding it, my breath if, on that. If yeah. that's the case, I just wonder how that dynamic changes. Integrating with him, him yeah, in the mid playoffs, that would be a tall order. I think they can obviously win the series without him. But introducing him in his first playoff action or first game action since what June of 2021 would be fascinating to say the least in that series. I mean, Bruce Brown is uh, this is a hyperbolic, but Bruce Brown is doing a lot of what they want Ben Simmons to do. Now Ben Simmons obviously way more talented and ultimately will make that team better if he gets on the court when you know next season whenever it is. But you know in terms of being able to look at Bruce Brown and and say. Can you make plays in the middle of the floor? Can you defend multiple positions? Can you hit shots, which yeah. is something you really can't ask Ben. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, those those are things that he's been successful at, and and yeah, it's been it's been just awesome. I Lee, love players like him. So he like, had a great game against the Mavericks. I mean, yeah. you know, Durant hit that shot that 
theoretically would have won the game if Dinwiddie doesn't hit it. But they win that game because of Bruce Brown. Because he just the, the Mavericks did not have an answer for him. They, 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 and it was, that, it was that middle of yes. the floor playmaking because the Mavericks went with – I don't think I've ever seen a team double one player as much as the Mavericks doubled Durant, Durant that game. But that was another laboratory regular season. It was. He's like, I'm just going to mm-hmm. do this every time yep. to see how this works. For you know what? I remember somebody was, telling me like halfway through the game, like, why are they sticking with this? It's not working. Um, <laughs> but actually it did work. And our, yeah. it, it, it did work because he only it shot sort of did. 20. Mm-hmm. He, did, right. he limited him to 20 shots. And that's what Jason Kidd likes to do is take away their best player. He's very committed to that philosophy. Yes. It's the Bill Belichick model. I'm going to take away your best player and make everybody else beat you. So the other series in the East – um, that is getting all the attention is Toronto and Philly. Uh, it seems as though everybody's picking Toronto. I had Philly after the trade as my team to pick out of the East. <laughs> I'm going to stick with it just because I have to stick with you my takes, right? <laughs> but I don't know anymore. Harden is, does not look like what he was before. I still think they can beat Toronto. Well, it's Even though with well, Tybalt not they, playing. They can, they can if Embiid is otherworldly. He's, he's going to have to be as good, if not better, than he's been all season long. Uh, frankly, I think Toronto has a significant coaching advantage in the series, too, uh, with Nick Nurse. The soon-to-be Laker coach? <laughs> that will not happen. I feel so bad for him, if so. Really? It's like, <laughs> poor Nick. You're like, poor Nick. I mean, he's, he's got a fantastic front right. office. He's got a great young team that's got all kinds of length and versatility. Yeah, don't and, don't and, do that, Nick. Like, don't, don't do that. that. I mean, I'm just, you I, don't know me, but I'm offering you advice. Do not do that. It's free. All money and good money. We're working for you here, okay? We're not working against you. Um, I mean, listen, everybody paid attention to, to what the Celtics did after January 1st. A little less attention was paid to what the Mavericks did after January 1st. Nobody paid attention to what Toronto did after Mm -hmm. January 1st. I mean, it's incredible what they've done. They are a pain to play against. I mean, listen, that Luka had the game he had against them, which pretty much jump-started his season when he went for the 41 in mid-January against them. Frankly, I don't know how he did it because they're just so versatile. They're so lengthy and switchy, and and they – they play with such confidence about them. I love them. And I think, they, I think they've got Philadelphia. And especially with Philly not having Thibel able to play yeah, in the games in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. So, real quick, as we wrap up, I want your MVP pick. Coop. Jokic. 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 Embiid, you guys, come on, man. <laughs> so I will say, I think okay. the argument. Right. I think We're going to fight here. <laughs> I'm not giving the MVP to a six seed. I'm sorry. I know he's the. I know it's because of him they're the sixth seed and not out of the playoffs. But I think you just made the case right there. For me. <laughs> I, I have a real issue. Embiid has played really well. Uh, it's his time. Jokic just won last year. Uh, See, I might say Giannis. Like I've almost been mm-hmm. swayed to the Giannis camp. And I think the other thing is that the East, the top of the East, really has been more difficult this year. And so these players have a slight uh, schedule disadvantage. Eastern Conference players doing what they've done over the course of the season. That's an argument that I that somebody made on Twitter, and I was like, okay, okay, I can get on board with that. I still think I'm Jokic, but to me, Giannis was very, very, very close. And then look how the Mavericks played against Giannis. Yeah. They, they yeah. Played, look t- how they played t- against Embiid. T- I mean, mm-hmm. I mean but, right. I mean, but, t- well, the, the, set, the, uh, the game in Philly, not so much. The, 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 game, the game in Dallas. They bothered him, but yeah, I In, agree. in Dallas yeah. in the second half, they took him out of the game. Yeah. But, you know, what, what the Mavericks did to Giannis, I mean, hold him without a basket until the game was over. 
You know, he scored two late baskets in the fourth quarter. You know, didn't shoot the ball all that great. You know, held him to it really held him to 28. Anytime you can hold somebody to under their scoring average, you're you're doing the job. So. And I'm surprised you're a numbers guy, and Jokic's numbers are just off the charts. So I'm surprised <laughs> yeah. you're not going with the well, guy that, you know. Is the, the he he said what number he was paying yeah, attention exactly. to. Six. Yeah, yeah. Six. Exactly. That's, it's got to be higher. The, that's the only number, yeah. I'm very blinded by that. <laughs> Check out Take That Witchy. You can get all my uh, hot opinions on the other awards because I do have other hot opinions that uh, I'm sure Coop and I would fight over, but we don't have time to get into that. Thanks for joining us on this playoff preview with the All-Star panel. Chuck Cooperstein, Tim Cato, Kevin Gray. I'm Brian Damaris. Check us out. Subscribe to the uh, Mavericks YouTube channel. Turn your notifications on so you get everything. Great film room this week by Mr. Bobby Corrala on what to expect in the Jazz Series. All of our Take That With You podcasts are on there. Studio 41 presented by Chime. We'll talk to you.